I recall we identified something like 40 possible, uh, you know, acquirers, right? And uh, you know, given that we were in the life sciences domain, analytics domain, I mean that 40 is the reasonable number. And and then they ran the uh, sort of teaser, right? And I remember vaguely that it was something like about 12, 13 companies uh, who were interested post teaser. right where then we sent the then they sent the nda on our behalf signed the ndas and then shared the information memorandum uh, so information memorandum was seen by 12 13 out of a pool of 40 and then they shortlisted that to maybe five odd companies that wanted to get into a more serious deep dive so the whole process running this process uh, you know putting timelines to possible acquirers because Uh, everybody wants to take their own time and you know you don't have that time because you are also uh, wanting to run a process and then if you're putting one against the other you want to make sure that you know another person says oh i'll get back to you after two months and one person is getting back to you with an offer next week now what do you do how will you compare you have to wait then two months to the next offer you just can't you have to tell them listen uh, you know we have 10 days of time you put in an offer either you are in or you're not in right so that can be best told by a third party because you know uh, you are always a bit nervous you know you were selling your first company or you know you know you're talking to somebody in the transaction team or the m&a team of a large company uh, do you tell that with that kind of confidence but the when the other guy is running the process he's going to just run it and say listen guys this is the way we are running the process this is the structure this is the thing come on you know it's it's either either you are there or you're not there right so there's no emotion in that there's no emotion and i think that uh, makes it so much easier particularly i think for first time entrepreneurs getting the right kind of professional support is uh, something that i would absolutely absolutely advise dear listeners this is your host siddharth alwalia founder of 100x entrepreneur podcast along with my wife Nancy before we begin i would like to thank our sponsors prime venture partners prime is the first institutional investor in category creating tech startups like mygate neo dozy planet spark prime is now investing out of its fourth fund which is more than 100 million dollars today i have with me amit somani managing partner prime ventures amit would like to know how you evaluate founders and what are the different evaluation criteria like siddharth you know so at prime we look for what we call category creating or category defining startups so we're really looking for in what way is a startup 10x better a 1000% better than the current state of the art it could be product it could be technology it could be go to market it could be a business model whatever so that is one core criteria as for the founders themselves we're really looking for founders that have very high learning agility or a very high learning quotient you know why that is important siddharth is as you're going through your seed to pre series a to series a and sort of journey to build your company to get product market fit to accelerate it you have to make a lot of trade offs and a lot of decisions so we're really looking for founders that have very high learning agility thank you amit so listeners let's dive straight into our this week's podcast today i have with me rohit anand founder of one digital stack which is a ecom analytics company serving in many countries and is having the top e-commerce enterprises and brands as its customer rohit is a serial entrepreneur a very dear friend of mine i have known rohit 
since the last five years, and the relationship has grown tremendously. He is an entrepreneur who has supported tremendous other entrepreneurs, and today I am very glad to share his journey right from the point of failures he faced in nineteen ninety nine as an entrepreneur, the way he restarted back again after ten years, and today how is the ecosystem shaping up? Rohit, welcome to the Hundred X Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Siddharth. I'm delighted to be here and honored. You rightly mentioned that you know our relationship has grown, and I have really enjoyed the relationship as well. As a founder, as an investor, there are so many touch points with you, and thanks a lot for your confidence in me and also your confidence in One Digital Stack. That always means a lot to me and a lot to the team. No, Rohit, I'm really grateful that Hundred X Entrepreneur Fund. could be part of one digital stacks journey and i want to share today with entrepreneurs a very different kind of you know uh, entrepreneurial path it it's not straight to unicorn but it's a very meaningful path and uh, as we you know discuss that not every path needs to become a rocket ship there are paths in entrepreneurial journey which can give immense satisfaction immense credibility in the ecosystem and the entrepreneur has the right to choose what kind of life he wants to build he doesn't need to be in a rush to prove to his team his family even himself or his investors that the unicorn is the final outcome so we would love to start you know going two decades back right what what made you start your first entrepreneurial venture in 1999 and if you can also share you know your family background your upbringing and what made you you know come to a point in 1999 that uh, you finally took the plunge of entrepreneurship hey thanks adart for uh, going all the way back uh, in my case we can talk about decades because you know unlike many of the 20 many unlike many of the entrepreneurs who are in their 20s i'm going to be 52 this year so you know i'm in i'm in my 50s so I, you can actually go back 20 years right now yeah you know you know i i was born in delhi you know grew up in delhi and did my schooling and college here um, i i helped my mom in uh, you know early days um, do something do her own business and so i was it was always something that was around the house right sort of uh, you know of course in those days we never talked about scale or size and it was you know a one person show but it was always it, these kind of experiences i think in early days of one's life do stay with you and you're right they help you to kind of get that business muscle or some kind of business thinking right and uh, that was always there and even when i went to imt in 91 to 93 i had the idea that you know at some point of time i will you know do something on my own but um, that time wasn't the right time for me to you know get out and do something right after the mba those weren't the days as well and i decided to you know go for a corporate job with ranbaxy i was a campus placement in 93 and uh, but a few years later you know it was 99 uh, and i decided to take the plunge put in my savings of around 20 25 lakhs uh, that was a huge amount in those days and uh, start something which was a women's community portal the whole revenue model was built on advertising and things like that very similar to momsco or shiros or you know some of the portals that are there but much ahead of its time this was remember this was internet 1.0 and i started this in 
you know, and one and a half years into it, kind of realized that the revenues didn't happen the way, you know, it, it was planned. In 2000, there was, if you remember, the dot-com crash as well, the first one. And uh, suddenly the funding dried up and it was difficult to get to. And in those days, of course, the uh, funding environment was also very different. And, you know, there was no option but to but to close, right, and uh, recalibrate my life. Um but so that was that was my journey. There were a, there were a lot of learnings from that uh, experience. Uh, I also decided to uh, recast my life. Uh, you know, decided that I was still young enough. I was not that old. I was, uh, you know, thirty. I had some years of experience in working in a large corporate. Some and I, I took this failure well, and I you know applied to INSEAD, went and did an MBA in France in Fontainebleau. Post MBA, got a job with Pharma because I had worked previously with Ranbaxy in Pharma, uh, with Amgen. It was in Switzerland, you know, beautiful country, idyllic, absolutely. Then went on to Sanofi in Paris, again, a phenomenal location, great place, large corporate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then seven, eight years later, that bug uh, always remained with me, that unfinished story uh, that always remained with me. And, you know, I decided to to take the plunge again and, you know, do a U-turn sort of, and then come back to India. And I started my entrepreneurial journey, uh, part two, uh, with Value Edge in 2008. And if you can share the first couple of years of Value Edge, how did you identify the problem, what you want to solve? How did you, you know, get to reach out to those customers? Because I remember those customers were not Indian customers, they were European uh, pharmacies that uh, you brought in and how did you scale value to the point of exit yeah you know it was uh, when i came back i wanted to do something and uh, there were also some folks in the road uh, right i could have done two or three very different things uh, there was an idea of building a business related to ip because part of my family extended family is in ip uh, in the ip domain something could also be in the ed in the education space, as you know, I was an NCIAD alum and, and so on. But uh, I really went after pharma because I, I think it's important to go after a space. It could be a niche space, but I think it's important to go after a space where you have some natural advantage, right? And that I think is incredibly important in any business, in any opportunity. So that's how I, I thought of, uh, of pharma uh, analytics as a space. And, um, you know, I decided to take the plunge and, you know, sometimes you just have to take the plunge and tell yourself that, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, you, you know, you can go back to a job. Maybe it would be difficult to go back to Europe, uh, but, you know, you can always go back to a job and, you know, at least give yourself a year, a year and a half to do this properly. For me, it was really very simple. Uh, you know, I had worked in Europe. I had built uh, some, uh, I wouldn't say reputation, but at least I had some goodwill and some good relationships in Europe where I worked uh, with my employers and with former colleagues and, and so on. And I decided to take a flight to Switzerland and just go out there and talk. And then, you know, there's also, I think, somewhere destiny, somewhere luck as well. Uh, you know, uh, my previous employer, Amgen, was looking for some competitive intelligence and in the biosimilar space and so on. And they gave the first assignment and it, you know, earning in Swiss francs is earning in Swiss francs, right? So that's how the company started. And, you know, sometimes you just have to 
go out there and do it you don't need a business plan you don't need to you know formal org structure and this and that etc i just had a handful of people i sat in a friend's office uh, there weren't shared offices uh, any of that those days and um, i just got going and i think um, uh, one of the things that's always important is to have that bias for action right and 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 do it rather than just you know talk about it and then it it just happened and you know it was uh, the, the the journey of value edge was like you know eight heads in a row right i mean it you know you toss a coin and you get eight heads in a row it was something like that right and um i went some time to europe and then a former boss said okay he was ex rosh and he said talk to so and so in rosh uh, i went to rosh uh, they were saying why should we outsource we do everything in house right there is no need for us to outsource and then they had some financial debacle and then they cfo changed their vision their thought process changed internally they said oh we met up with you why don't you pitch for this rfp they gave us one rfp we grabbed it i know later that tcs and other companies were also offered the same rfp i mean they they went to eight indian vendors but we know the kind of energy and intensity that we put into that rfp and when they when they saw you know what we had sent as a reply they said you know who are you why don't you come over to switzerland and discuss with us long story short in in the short journey of value edge of 7 8 years rosh became a 2 million dollar business and in in a company which eventually had a business size of around 6 and a half 7 million dollars and this was our you know game changer so it was destiny but it was also about getting really high quality people in the company i always believe in that that you know none of i mean these are all knowledge businesses and a knowledge based business can only be built by having the best of people and that's something that i've always aspired to do to get so i got in a you know two great co-founders who were highly skilled one of them was iit kharagpur novartis the other was iit kanpur you know building that team meant that there was excellence there was consistency in our delivery and clients just depended on us and and you know the whole reputation grew a lot internally and we were able to uh, you know mine our clients deep and and then of course one thing led to another and the business really grew so valuage was a analytics business giving competitive intelligence to pharma companies competitive intelligence forecasting data analytics it was a mixed bag between all of those we also had we also set up a small technology team we built a small cloud based intelligence product as well uh, at the time of exit you know we had couple of million dollar plus clients there was rosh there was merck there was bayer uh, you know blue chip clients and it was about 150 people team with offices in the us uh, in europe in frankfurt and in switzerland uh, so it was substantial a, a lot of things had been accomplished all bootstrapped you know i had a dominant uh, share in the in the company uh, but i also it was also a reasonably generous equity esop that was given out to attract some of the best talent we had a fantastic campus recruiting that was happening at bits pilani with pharma and other good campuses and there was a it was a well run company from the inside so in which year you exited and what was the was the arr when you exited of the company we were 
you know it was a services business largely so it was uh, it was around 6 and a half million i started the company in 2008 i had exited in 2016 via a sale to wns but you know it was while i had sold in 2016 i was required to be with them till 2019 so my full exit happened effectively in 2019 and what was the thought process behind the exit was there a parallel plan that you could have built from 6 and 1/2 million the first 6 and 1/2 million is very tough that you could have compounded even 2x annually and reached let's say 30 to 40 million dollars in a few years you're right i mean there could have been uh, you know and there's always a fork in the road where you say that yes you know you could you could have uh, you know taken the company maybe to 30 to 40 million dollars but i think that would have also in our mind it was sort of clear that going more than 10 million dollar would need a different approach where we would need to build up a, a sales force in the us a sales force in europe we would need to raise capital uh, so it would be uh, it would it would be a different type of a game it would be a game where we would raise capital dilute um, you know then when we get investors we are also driven by their priorities by their growth rate by their expectations managing all of them then you know building a sales force in europe and the us then growing that the founders also uh, my co-founders also had been around for about 7 8 years in the journey they were also like me and saying okay you know we haven't seen any exit we don't really know uh you know everybody was getting a bit restless they also wanted to see some money uh you know and we thought okay let's explore uh you know lo- looking at what an exit could look like via sale right and then see if we get a good deal uh, maybe we do this now because the other thing is that at the end of the day you know it's not only about the absolute value of a company it's about what is your share at the end of the day at the time of exit uh and sometimes even when you grow bigger but you know you have multiple dilutions you might not be having that kind of share as as you had today and so we said look let's explore that uh, but one thing we were very clear about was that if you're going to explore exit the only way to do it is to do it well right anything in life the only thing to do it is to do it well because you'll never know whether it was the idea or it was the execution so we thought that you know let's uh, if you have to do it well i have the founder who was totally focused on the exit let me tell you that an exit is at least three times more work and effort than a fundraise right if you think a fundraise is you know uh, highly energetic and you know takes a lot very demanding and i mean an exit is at least three times because you know you're out of that you know you you're in cashed out and uh, you know it's like uh, you know it's as a, as a, as it says in latin right it's the buyer's problem after that right so it's so we we thought the only way to do it is do it well we went through the whole beauty contest we you know saw many different possible uh, partners who can help us out here eventually we settled for grand thornton we wanted to go we were very clear that we didn't want to go with an individual a boutique or a one man show we were in touch with some of those uh, it might have cost us less but then you know if we were talking to enterprise clients then we knew that you know there was no way that we could sort of you know get that kind of parity until Uh, we were well represented and we had to be represented by someone senior uh, at a well known firm so we you know took our time to finalize some partner and we eventually went with grand thornton uh, they have a nice uh, mna team and yeah and then they ran the whole process which was uh, you know sending a 
teaser and then getting interest and then you know sharing the material and uh, then you know having you know and then the whole idea was to generate as many uh, competitive offers as possible but one more thing what that is important i think when we speak of exit is that for us it was yes the valuation was important and obviously that's the main uh, element but also it was about getting the right terms you know structuring it well also ensuring that there are no outs right so uh, if you're not paid the whole amount up front then obviously there is a risk that you might not get paid or you might get partly paid or there are some outs in some way so we have had to make sure that you know from a legal perspective uh, there are the outs are minimized there is no uh, you know clawback that sometimes could happen and things like that so that's when we also got in a large law firm we got ketan uh you know to represent us uh, you know out there uh, in this way so all in all it was a lot of effort uh, it, the whole thing took 6 7 months 8 months i think uh, but uh, yeah by 2019 we had the exit uh, it was a 20 million dollar exit with you know 17.5 million cash upfront and then the balance uh, in rsus and of the cash uh, 70% was um, paid on day 1 and the 30% was paid over 3 years so you had to kind of you know be there for 3 years uh, uh, and 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 so on and if you can share uh, you know the process of identifying the grand thorton that among the partners eys of the world how you identify them how did you build that kind of equity with them what are the kind of fees these you know mna advisors charge and what is the actual kind of help that they do 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 they help you identify the right set of uh, acquirers or do they reach out to acquirers on your behalf yeah so it's a uh, uh, well on the fee uh, you know it really varies but it could be anything from you know the larger the, the deal size the smaller is their percentage but it's really a success fee all advisors take a little bit of upfront the upfront could be it, it is always negotiated but it could be anything from 5 lakhs to 10 lakhs in today's day and age uh but it's it's basically to show some kind of uh, seriousness and commitment uh but their real fee is always a success based fee and uh, you know in our case it was in the range of i think 2.25% or something like that always something that has to be negotiated down right you know an ey would be something like a 3% uh so it, there was there was some difference between the different firms as i recall and you know a boutique could do it at maybe 1.5% or something like that as well yeah they run the whole process for you end to end so i think first is the whole thought process in terms of building the information memorandum building the story uh putting it all together a lot of thought and effort goes into that that is one part of it uh, right because there's no point embarking on that until until that story is not built very clearly so they need to understand you the team the business the competition the the landscape you know put it all together right that's one part they do the entire reach out uh, obviously with our input as well so you know uh, this was uh, we were looking at strate- at a strategic uh, partner so uh, you know i recall we identified something like 40 possible uh, you know acquirers right and uh, you know given that we were in the life sciences domain analytics domain i mean that 40 is a reasonable number and and then they ran the uh, sort of teaser right and i remember vaguely that it was something like about 12 13 companies uh, who were interested post teaser 
right where then we sent the then they sent the nda on our behalf signed the ndas and then shared the uh, information memorandum uh, so information memorandum was seen by 12 13 out of a pool of 40 and then they shortlisted that to maybe five out companies that wanted to get into a more serious deep dive so the whole process running this process you know putting timelines to possible acquirers because uh, everybody wants to take their own time and you know you don't have that time because you are also uh, wanting to run a process and then if you're putting one against the other you want to make sure that you know another person says oh i'll get back to you after two months and one person is getting back to you with an offer next week now what do you do how will you compare you have to wait then two months to the next offer you just can't you have to tell them listen uh you know we have 10 days of time you put in an offer either you are in or you are not in right so that can be best told by a third party because you know uh, you are always a bit nervous you know you were selling your first company or you know you know you're talking to somebody in the transaction team or the m and a team of a large company do you tell that with that kind of confidence but the when the other guy is running the process he's going to just run it and say listen guys this is the way we are running the process this is the structure this is the thing come on you know it's it's either either you are there or you are not there right so there's no emotion in that there's no emotion and i think that makes it so much easier particularly i think for first time entrepreneurs getting the right kind of professional support is uh, something that i would absolutely absolutely advise and then you know there are uh, all kinds of mistakes because you know the shareholders agreement comes from them right from the acquirer and the when we saw the shareholders the first draft that came from they used shardul amarchand wns we kind of had a heart attack right because they had things like you know if somebody leaves then they'll have a clawback and and so on of the they had identified key people and said look there are seven eight key people in this business if anybody leaves i'll take this much back now you know that kind of that is like guys can i have a control over that i can't but you know looking at the agreement like this means that you know you know already you could see that that money will not even be your money firstly you have to receive that money then pay a tax on that money then you get the net of that and then imagine from the net if someone is taking that back that's your hard earned money so you need to be extremely careful in that and uh, it does take a lot of time effort uh, you know and i think here having the right partners makes a lot of difference also at that point uh, you know would have made a lot of stressful situation between Uh, the founding team as well right how to find the right price and on a daily basis to and fro with the acquirer with their legal team whether this will go through or not how did you maintain that kind of a balance through the eight month process yeah so it it's a highly stressful process no doubt about it right and the, you know there is also uh, you have a need to keep your internal co-founding team involved informed they also need to know what's going on you can't play your cards in just close to your chest at the same time uh, you want to keep the morale of everybody up because suddenly people are then wondering that okay what's going on suddenly you know in the office you have uh, you know a lot of meetings in conference rooms where uh, you know possible people keep coming in it's a small office it's not like there are so many floors and you know you can't uh, be seen and you know all of that so you at the same time you have to keep the business going right because if you lose sight of the business just imagine a scenario that the deal falls through for any reason a b c reason right but you have you left your eyes on the ball on the business right and then suddenly you find that the business starts 
the impact starts coming on the business because you've taken eight months, your eyes of the ball, eight months out of a year is like two third of the year gone, right? So you can't do that. So it's a hard balancing act. That's why, you know, it's a, that's why it's, you know, uh, advice is never, ever do it unless you're absolutely certain about it. And it can't be just, hey, we'll just explore this for a lark. You have to kind of be really serious about it because it's too much of effort. You have to keep paddling on both boats. You have to balance the internal operations as well as keep this going with different responsibility. You have to keep your internal core group informed because they are, they, you know, it's in a, in a business like this, it's also about the team. They're also buying into the team, right? And at the same time, you can't let the whole thing out that, you know, people start losing interest in the company and so on. We are, we are still growing. We are still hiring. We are still, uh, you know, growing clients, etc., etc. And at that point in time, what was WNS? Uh, interest to acquire the company like it was a six and a half million dollar company but i believe wns at that point in time could have been what 300 million dollar in their their no, no, much more because uh, they were about uh, you know around 700 million or something like that and uh, they were not acquiring us for the revenue right i think they were acquiring us for the capability in life sciences they had a large uh, life sciences uh, practice with one client with had they had like uh, seven eight hundred people uh, with that one client where they had built an outsourcing capability and uh, it was all of the, you know one just one client but you know you can imagine massive size seven eight hundred people just one client right but they they had somehow not been able to progress this beyond this one client they had been trying for a few years and that 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 all we learned later this was all learned post deal because then i was reading that life sciences unit you know, that you know they had not been able to do this and they had tried various things and uh, but then they found that you know rather than just do this just it's you know it's it's a it's a classical make versus buy question right i mean do you do this yourself they could have or they could have just bought and there was uh, you know for them it was okay we can spend 20 million dollars for this we may as well buy it because anyway the company is generating cash and profit right so you know there's a payback they'll uh, you know they'll they'll earn it all back and uh, you know, and also sort of positions the company slightly uh, as they were also trying to move away from uh, pure BPM toward more analytics and stuff like that. And some, they, so, so they are done. They are not, they're not very acquisitive. They are done like two, three acquisitions in a bunch uh, around the same time as us. And then after that, I think, again, they've stopped. They have, at least to the best of my knowledge, they, they haven't done any more. And uh, uh, if they had to put a number to the kind of return they made from the acquisition, uh, would would you have that kind of number? No, I don't have the uh, the math around it, but I know that uh, the acquisition has worked very well for them because immediately it was reflected also in the stock price, which immediately went up with the when the announcement itself was made. So I think they earned the entire money back on the just on the share price alone, right? One of the learnings that I could have, and that was again hindsight, was that maybe part of the payment could be made in cash, but part of the payment could have been made in, you know, more like a stock component, which comes up front, right? And that allows us to also partake in that ride, right? But again, uh, you know, uh, that is all hindsight now. You get wiser, right? With time. Yes. Yes. And uh, uh, how was the journey moving forward, right? When did you decide to start again, one digital stack, how did you meet your co-founder in one day to stack? And, and yeah. yeah, so that's very interesting. You know, I had no illusions that, you know, I'm going to do pharma. I, I wanted to do something and I wanted to have a second innings, right? It was just very obvious, uh, you know, uh, although I was a quote-unquote 
a late bloomer you can call it because i never made it to the 30 under 30s or 40 under 40s or any of that but you know there was i had started value edge at when i was say 38 and you know it, by around 46 47 i was kind of uh, you know uh, done with it or you know out of getting out of it right so then you know i, I was very clear that i still had it in me to do one second innings besides uh, also now in a small way you know looking at angel investing and things like that and one there were two 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 learnings right one learning was that uh, i wanted to go after a big problem to solve that was absolutely clear in my mind and i life science analytics for all its you know obviously i had an uh, advantage out there but at the end of the day it was a relatively niche problem so i wanted to go after a big problem and secondly i wanted to use technology and i wanted to build a, a product company and not a services company because the effort and the time is the same right but just imagine the multiple that you get on a tech product company versus the product multiple that you get on a services company and many good reasons for that are well known reasons for that but uh, you know uh, if you are a owner of a services company you get the short end of that right that's the reality right uh, so why not try and build a product technology company so these were two thoughts and then you know i was exploring many ideas and i was having lot of coffee and with lots of different possible people and you know just meeting people and and so on and i uh, you know met my co-founder tarun uh you know who came from um, fms unilever and so on best of breed and he talked about e-commerce and um, it immediately clicked with me because we could you could see the trend line this was very clear long before the covid pandemic that you know amazon was taking off uh, marketplaces were taking off uh, in market after market country after country uh and if there was anybody who could say that listen i'll use a combination of uh, technology and data science to draw actionable insights and uh, provide these actionable insights to brands that will help them to accelerate their growth on amazon uh, who doesn't want to which brand doesn't want to accelerate their growth on amazon or marketplaces and it's increasingly a very competitive space and as brands get on these platforms and it becomes a bigger and bigger channel uh, they have to do this but in reality doing this on their own isn't that simple right you need you need to absorb a massive amount of data at scale use data science have e-commerce expertise and bring it all together at the same time and so we thought of doing this as a third party um, doing this uh, you know for brands because that is not their uh, core competence and uh, building a product company doing this and uh, for me that was Uh, a a really exciting problem to solve and we just went for it and and can you share the current scale and how much time it took you to build it of one day to stack and scale in terms of arr in terms of the top marquee clients that you have so we started in uh, we formally you know incorporated in november of 19 uh, we brought in our first employee on feb of uh, 20 uh, and uh, today we are a 40 person company we have um, about 24 clients 25% of the business is outside india we're about uh, in by end april we are looking at 1.2 million dollar arr we are working with some of the most marquee clients that there are i mean we are very fortunate we've been very fortunate in our journey uh, they include uh, the likes of hp nestle philips uh, glanbia nutrition um, havas media uh, 
etc all on the enterprise side we are slowly onboarding also some some in the, and we've been working with these clients for the last one one and a half years and demonstrated considerable impact we are just onboarding a few other marquee names including mars pet foods uh, marico uh, and so on and also on the d2c side we've been working with the likes of neiman shoes pilgrim uh blutokai coffee zinga vita and so on so a number of brands and um, so far yeah the you know it's it's we we started uh, it took us about 6 8 months to build the first prototype uh, once we had the first prototype as in the case of value edge we had a game changing moment in july august of 2020 when uh, hp invited us uh, and they looked on us to help them power what they call their e-commerce command center and uh, that was uh, i think uh, a, a real turning point for us uh, it, what we were doing in terms of um, you know extracting data from amazon cleaning the data analyzing that data uh, and and drawing actionable insights is exactly what that e-commerce command center was looking for and it was a great fit and that was a turning point and i always believe that you know getting in an anchor client relatively early in your journey is is a game changer and you know we we just been lucky to get hp a client of that stature we started work for them in india uh, the impact has been such that they've taken us to singapore and we are doing a few countries in the asia pac region uh, we are just starting some work for them in the north american continent and in europe and the relationship has just grown and grown that has been quite an awesome journey so first time you didn't take any investor money uh, second time how did you decide to take uh, investor money and how was your thought process who to take it from uh, because you had yeah, many options so, yeah so i think uh, you know um, you know when i when i look back uh, you know yes we I, I, we did not take any investor money in um, in value edge uh, it was a niche a space uh, and the company was always profitable and we always had you know sufficient to to you know funds to grow our business from internal accruals uh, obviously that thought process is is still with me but i don't believe that and and i honestly do believe that every company does not need to take money from from outside having said that uh, the two situations are not exactly analogous we are in a vast market right uh, e-commerce advertising alone is uh, you know amazon and everybody else put together is about 300 billion right so it's a massive massive market but there are also very large well funded players uh beat commerce iq or you know data weave or takea metrics or uh, there are so many of them going after some slices of this not everybody is doing uh, identical things to what we are doing or we are doing things which they are not doing but you know they are all going after some slices of this and uh, if you really want to build a global company uh, we would need to accelerate with uh, some capital as well we don't need a lot of capital so we were also uh, looking to you know minimize our dilution also and you know we thought that raising money in the range of about a million dollars would be sufficient uh, but not it doesn't it gets us to what our goals are uh, we're looking to build out a singapore office we're looking to build out uh, you know build in a strong cxo team build in a lot of talent and so on but so it be, it does need uh, it does need capital that will be uh, that will not be in sync with our uh, you know uh, inflows but 
you know, we don't need a lot of capital. And that led to the thinking that we need, uh, we, we are well served with, uh, you know, angel uh, in, uh, funding. Um, and, you know, we, that's the route that we've taken. And, uh, of course, we're delighted that, uh, you know, Siddharth, you and 100X are on board. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a few marquee uh, angels as well uh, in the US, uh, in the UK, in India, in Singapore. Uh, and we're absolutely blessed to have these angels. Uh, we're looking forward to doing the round and actually getting the money in uh, very soon and, and then just going all, all out after that. So it's, it's, I'm really grateful, uh, Rohit, that 100x Entrepreneur Fund could lead the round along with some of the top names, uh, you know, in, in the Indian startup industry as angels uh, along with us. Uh, uh, now, moving forward, right, how do you see this journey going, right? Uh, do, you, do you see to, you know, take it to 10 mil AR, ARR, like slowly and steadily, or, or do you see that there's an opportunity to fast track it? let's say, in, in the next 18 months to 24 months? Yeah, in the next 18 months, uh, Siddharth, we're looking to take this to 3 million, uh, right? And and then after that, we do want to fast track it, right? So, and, and there are multiple growth drivers. We see the growth drivers as uh, essentially what we are doing is, uh, if you really think about it, we are extracting data from Amazon and marketplaces. We are analyzing the data, uh, through data science and then uh, but it's not only about uh, actionable insights we also have another product that we have launched recently uh, in the media optimization and automation space which essentially rests on the same data but it also combines with first party data that amazon provides to the brand owners and we think that uh, that the second product that we launched Rev- revenity which is is a far far bigger opportunity than the media intelligence than the uh, intelligence and insights product revstack uh, and we are seeing some rapid adoption not only with among d2cs but we are seeing rapid adoption even among enterprise clients so let me give you an example uh, we are working with philips uh, and we were providing them with actionable insights through revstack but when we launch Revenity in January, they are very keen on it. And we've signed a contract with them to help them in, um, you know, optimization as well. So that's so even as enterprise clients want uh, optimization, because everybody needs to be efficient with their Amazon spend. Also, mid-market clients and D2C clients, frankly, told us that we don't have a need. We don't even have the internal capability to absorb these insights and make sense of them because we don't have the analytical horsepower. Right. All we have, all we need is someone to actually run the campaign for us in an efficient manner. So we think the opportunity is far bigger with Revenity, which is our media optimization product that we launched in January. So I think the acceleration will be far, far more rapid from now on. Uh, what we need to get right, and uh, and that is something that is very much a work in progress and we have not solved. And I, it's not that, and I never say that, you know, we've solved everything, right, is to get our GTM absolutely right. Uh, we think that uh, this also uh, will be, I mean, while India has been a big base, but we think that a massive opportunity exists in uh, Singapore and the APAC region. Uh, Tarun, my co-founder, is uh, planning to relocate to Singapore uh, in the second half of the year. Uh, we think that the relocation will sort of give a massive impetus to this because then he's physically out there and nothing like having the founder in the market. We've seen that in startup after startup. All right. We're also looking to b- bring on a serious head of growth, to bring on marketing, etc. A lot of learnings from other, you know, SaaS companies that 
sales and marketing has to be front loaded as opposed to uh, you know coming in late right so i think that's something consistent i saw that in shashank's uh, you know podcast as well i think a lot of people talk about that so i think that's something that i want to also do right so if you get all these pieces right i think there can be a massive acceleration there is no need for us to be slow and steady this is you know horses for courses so this is not value edge this is uh, a company that can grow much much uh, more quickly a much larger tam a much larger opportunity out there but it's uh, still for ours to get to it right we still have to execute it and there's there's just a long way to go and what's your vision and ambition for one digital start like where do you want to take it and why do you take want to take it definitely yeah you know tarun and i when we sat down and we talked about our vision right on the early days we were both clear that we want to build a large company right i mean there is a little joy it's not just the financial outcome or anything like that but there is a joy in building a large company that impacts a lot of clients a lot of brands a lot of people uh, right and you know we really wanted to do that so you know so that is that was like the founders you know having their original coffees and uh, you know meeting up on the starbucks and then you know doing some whiteboarding together and then you know figuring it out that you know okay this is some a, re- a problem that we really want to because when you go after a problem you are going to devote 10 years of your life to it so you need to keep that 10 year right so you cannot go after something and then you know just say after you know one year oh no no I, now i have changed my mind now i want to go yes there can be tweaks within that but then broadly you are going after that for a substantial part of your life right so we were very clear about that and uh, you know we thought we'll do whatever it takes now in terms of yes you know it's important to have very clear uh, financial outcomes also very clear uh, uh, you know and uh, as we talk to investors also we need to be clear about you know where do we really want to take this and how do how big do we want to make this yes we have that uh, coveted 100 million dollar kind of a milestone in our mind that we will eventually get to that milestone we want to be a large well known well recognized uh, player in the e-commerce enablement ecosystem right more broadly right i mean as e-commerce grows into thousands of billions of dollars because that's uh, you know the e- that's where e-commerce is today and uh, right the enablement system you know one part of it is the logistics enablement or the warehousing enablement or you know other types of enablement but then there'll also be the data enablers the the, the you know the ip enablers the you know uh, the data science guys right all of the enablers will also have uh, you know substantial businesses right and uh, we want to be a substantial business in that uh, in that ecosystem and uh, for for you the holy grail is a 100 mil arr company this time that's what you want yeah i mean you know uh, that's something that we have set ourselves to right uh, right and at this point in time i think we have got a good early momentum into into growing that what does that mean actually if you think back about it that you know how many brands would that take you know at our current aov uh, it would take us about 3000 brands right but you know that's a very very rough number because you know we can also talk about other products we've got uh, you know one product that we've got is this whole a brand watch which could talk about ip uh, uh, you know and and uh, you know brand reputation and uh, again that watching that on uh, behalf of brands on e-commerce channels we talking about trends which could be another product and so on so the you know if you have more products etc the number of brands could come down but we could be talking about impacting anything from let's say 1000 brand upward right which is a very very different uh, business to what value edge was the kind of impact there was and i'm very confident that 
if we get the team right, because I'm again going back to the basics, right? It's about team. Uh, you know, 50% is about team. I mean, that's my, it's, I'm just completely overweighted on team. We've got the space. We've got the product. We've built it. You know, clients wouldn't be paying us for it. it you know, we wouldn't have won an RFP with Havas or we wouldn't have HP uh, giving us more work, etc. if we weren't already solving something for them. So they are paying us. We are solving something for them. But, you know, it, what, what we really need to do is now, you know, just get out there. We've got the, the, the zero to one journey, right? If we get the team right and we are able to execute along our plans, there's no reason why we can't do it. And and uh, this this time around, what is the same thing that you are you know copying from Valueage, and what are the things that you are diff- doing completely different from Valueage based on your learnings? Yeah, I think what has really been important in Valueage is getting uh, the right right quality of talent, right? So we have, for example, uh, you know, someone in our uh, company, uh, Shantanu, he's uh, IIT Delhi, uh, ISD you know, worked in Innovacer and some other companies, etc. So, you know, very strong pedigree. He's heading operations. We're looking at a, getting someone else at head of product. Again, very strong uh, ISB, this and this, you know, and she's about to join us, uh, you know, at, at the moment. Uh, same thing. We are talking to some other highly pedigreed people, ex-IIT, etc., etc., uh, to come in as head of growth or head of uh, data science and so on. Building that CXO team at that level being generous with ESOP uh, so that wealth creation can be shared as opposed to wealth creation being concentrated, uh, creating a culture of fairness, meritocracy as far as possible. I'm, I'm never, it, it can never be perfect, but you know, it's, it's not that, you know, there is politics or there is time for politics or there is, you know, favoritism or so once was getting a promotion or so and so is being, is, is boss's favorite and none of, none of all that stuff. We don't have time for all that stuff. So, that's something that we did very well at Value Edge. I would love to retain that and trying to retain that. We were also uh, we were also very strong on things like employee benefits and health insurance, other plans, etc. Of course, things have changed. The providers today are different. I mean, you get aggregators who've aggregated yoga and meditation and uh, you know gym and everything all into one. And that's the kind of those are the kind of tweaks. Of course, time has passed and you get these kinds of things today, right? That you won't get. In, you get new different kind of office spaces which weren't there, etc. But broadly, this thought process of people first, team first, and then uh, you know everything else falling in place is the philosophy that I think made value add successful, and that's what we want to continue. What is different? I think what is really different is if you see the whole business model itself is different. We are genuinely a technology company. Yes, there may be some service element on top of it because particularly as we work with enterprise clients, they may need uh, some analytical support or some you know analyst time to be built on top of it. But genuinely to build a very strong technology rich company with solid analytical capability, I think that is you know very different, right? And I think that was something that was missing uh, that would enable us to uh, scale up, right? The other thing that I think was very different was uh, which again I planted as in the roots of the company were that uh, there is a genuine co-founding relationship. Tarun and I are equal co-founders. And I think that also is very foundational. And I was really, that was again something very thoughtfully done. It wasn't, 
you know because i i wanted to bring on someone who is better than myself smarter than myself and uh, you know and then you know it it sort of there is no uh, you know so that we are always on the same side of the fence right you 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 need you you know inter there's no time energy for interpersonal conflict uh or anything like that right so we always see it from uh, you know one perspective because we are completely aligned as we are equal owners right and i think that is very foundational and i did not have that uh equity structure with my co-founders last time right which then results in you know downstream when things are going well also and there's some time then you kind of think oh well i'm just a small owner maybe i can go out and you know get something better for myself or maybe i can set up my own thing or whatever right uh that doesn't happen if you are uh, an equal owner and i think that was something that i had also learned and uh, brought in out here and raj uh, you have been fairly involved in the startup ecosystem in the last 3 years can you share about your set of angel investments or the funds that you have invested in and what's your structure of thinking how do you invest yeah so well thanks for that sindhar i mean you know um, it's 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 a mixture of things one is that let me tell you that i'm very conservative first and foremost because i think that's extremely important uh, i wanted to when i had a pie to invest i wanted to firstly get in a professional firm to help me in that so i brought in ifl to help me in that so i want to be absolutely clear about that and i think that's extremely important because i think uh, people it's not necessary that if you're a founder you would also be very good at managing money right so that's one thing and so 90% of the money is in various equity funds or debt funds etc etc it's the 10% which is uh, you know across, where i am also lp in some funds and i'm also uh, you know an angel investor so that 10% is also then further split between lp and an angel investor now being an lp allows me to then participate in the uh, thesis in the investment thesis that the fund itself is running and different funds have different thesis i am largely weighted towards tech right uh, so that you know i am an angel investor in for example your nest fund 2 your nest fund 3 uh, pi ventures uh, right a fund a mixed fund like stellaris uh, you know fund 2 which is between consumer and tech right uh the only consumer large consumer fund where i am an lp is six cents uh, you know which is uh, which is uh, uh, you know and has shown some incredible success on the consumer side right so but i'm gl- i'm i'm largely weighted on the tech side uh, you know but yes yeah, so these are there are so i am an lp and so approximately you know 40 50% of the uh, my corpus on on this side is already uh, invested as an lp and uh, the balance you know part of it has been invested part of it is left which is purely my judgment uh, good or bad or ugly we'll see now because you know all these things take time but yeah very proud to be associated with some good uh, investments made uh, investments in uh, neiman shoes you know where you advised me uh, many years back so i'll never forget that virohan um, Uh, on the health tech side uh, pluto kai coffee uh, biryani blues viziki uh, you know and and several others uh, navia healthcare etc i'm guided by two things out here right and it's i've tried to keep this very very simple one i'm guided by the market that the uh, entrepreneur or the team is pursuing 
how large is this opportunity is it a niche opportunity uh, do they have any competitive edge in this opportunity what do they what is their right to win out here right so what is the opportunity and really trying to understand the opportunity and the second thing is really the quality of the entrepreneur and the and the founding team i mean uh, you know i often judge that you know are they better than me right and you know or me at that age right and i'm just surprised by and delighted by the quality of entrepreneurs that are coming out now i think they're uh, you know a notch above what they used to be not a notch above i think couple of notches above incredibly smart very well read very well informed you know they uh, you know you know so i i i think that you know if you sort of combine both these unless you know things can go wrong i mean execution can go wrong the the whole market can change many things can happen the journey is you know never a straight line it can be rough and rocky but uh, you know if you have a the right crew and you're backing the crew and they have gone after broadly the right space then yes uh, you know hopefully they you know hopefully many of them will uh, you know sail through thank you so much rohit it's been incredible walking in your shoes through this podcast i hope listeners enjoy it cherish it as much as i did and there are some final points that you know we never had in our conversations during the last 5 years which i got to learn through this conversation hey thanks a lot sadar thanks a lot for having me i know we have been wanting to do this for a while but i'm really honored uh, and delighted to be here uh, yeah and um, you know again wish you all the success with 100x and uh, you know i'm i'm delighted to be part of that as well so um, you know let's uh, let 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 the you know journey go and uh, let our relationship bloom and i look forward to uh, more informal interactions as well Thank you.